Welcome in, it is TYT The Conversation. I'm your host Adrian Lawrence. And right now I have joining me Manisha Krishnan. She's a senior editor at Vice News reporting on subjects like racism, drug policy, sexual violence against women and guns. Welcome in Manisha. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so right now, hey, we're just coming off of the unfortunate September 6th loss of actor Michael K. Williams, who's very fondly known from the show The Wire. And he had died, as the coroner found out, to an accidental opioid overdose. And I know that you believe that opioids right now are currently more dangerous than ever. Why is that? Yeah, so I just want to be really clear what I mean by that. And I'm talking about the street drug supply, so street opioids. I'm not talking about prescription pills. Um, but basically what's happening in markets um, around North America is we are seeing a flood of fentanyl. And so people who traditionally would use heroin are now using fentanyl. Um, and sometimes there is no heroin to be found. And fentanyl is much, much more potent than heroin. It's up to 100 times more potent than morphine, 50 times more powerful, powerful than heroin. And that means it's just much easier to overdose. Yikes, uh, that's entirely unfortunate, especially given how we've seen opioids and things like fentanyl really circulate among the market. And what do you think that a lot of people are missing right now when they are focusing on the opioid debate and crisis? Um, I think that there's a lot of interesting dynamics happening um, that are very alarming. I think. You know, one of the problems that we're seeing that's really scary right now is there's a lot of fentanyl analogs hitting the market. And what that means is um, because fentanyl is a synthetic, it's a man made drug, what these um, drug manufacturers can do essentially is they can keep tweaking them. They can keep changing the chemical structure of them to try to evade the Controlled Substances Act to basically try to um, find legal loopholes. And so you're seeing drugs that are even stronger than fentanyl hitting the market now. Um, in, in fact, in Michael K. Williams' case, uh, he did have a fentanyl analog found in his body that's much more powerful than even fentanyl. So it's kind of this brave or terrifying new world, I should say. Um, it's really, really different than the days of when people were just simply using heroin. Yikes, uh, you know, and we're just coming off of or in the midst of the opioid crisis right now. And so the thought that there is something even stronger out there on the streets, it's very disconcerting. And I know the Drug Enforcement Agency Administration, the DEA, released a public safety alert earlier this week about an influx of fake prescription pills containing meth and fentanyl. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, so what they're saying is that they've had kind of, you know, the largest seizure ever of these counterfeit pills. Um, and they're pills that are being sold as meth, they're pills that are being sold as other drugs, um, sometimes even like Adderall and stuff like that, but they actually contain fentanyl. Um, and what we're seeing more of as well is other drugs such as cocaine, um, sometimes MDMA and drugs like that, that also contain fentanyl. And if you're not an opioid user, if you're just, let's say, recreational cocaine user and you have a little bit of fentanyl that's cut into your drugs, that can mean that you overdose and die. Wow, uh, and do you think that there's a lot of conversation about this uh, in the media? Because this is definitely something I have not necessarily been aware of. I don't know. I think, you know, I, I'm probably in a bubble because I am a drug policy reporter. So I have been sort of looking at this issue for years at this point. Um, I think what frustrates me is that 
we're still very much on a basic kind of war on drugs level of conversation about how to police our way out of these problems. Um, if you look at drug policy in America, it's actually pretty behind. Um, there's no sort of safe drug consumption sites. Like that's something that could save lives because it's a place where people can take their drugs and do them on a site where there's safe equipment, clean needles, nurses on site to prevent overdoses. So things like that, measures like that are what we need to see start happening. Um, and unfortunately, it's not happening quickly enough. And why do you think that the United States still has this antiquated approach to drugs? I mean, I think because of the war on drugs and you know decades of essentially propaganda, um, anti-drug propaganda, police forces. I mean, the U.S. has several sort of DEA is one of them. These federal law enforcement agencies they basically have a vested interest in perpetuating this war on drugs because it also justifies police budgets. Um, we've seen how the war on drugs has specifically targeted black people and led to mass incarceration. So there's a lot of bigger sort of socioeconomic and political factors at play. Yeah, it definitely seems that as we've seen from the initial stages of when drugs are essentially criminalized, that there is racism at play or some kind of socioeconomic issue at play. And I know that we're seeing these kind of things unfortunately play out abroad as well as locally. And it's my understanding that in 2021 so far, there's been an average of 172 people dying of opioids every month. Uh, which is a significant increase from 2020. What are we missing here? Why is this going on? I mean, it's a tough question to answer. Um, I think that you know part of the issue is just this contaminated drug supply. Um, this drug supply is heavily flooded with fentanyl, and once the thing with opioids is. Um, you know, you build up a tolerance for them. So let's say you have fentanyl flooding New York City. Then eventually the people who used heroin are going to get addicted to fentanyl and heroin is no longer going to be sufficient for them. So they're going to then be seeking that drug. So it's one of those things where you can't really go back from it or it's at least it's very difficult to do. And what scares me is right now, you know, you're seeing this problem in the Midwest in certain states in the East Coast, my hometown, Vancouver, Canada, you know, there's no more heroin there anymore. I, I'm worried about kind of the more that this starts to happen in bigger markets and spreads because it's kind of like there's no going back. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And people are going to be hungry for something heavier, something you know more potent and whatnot that could endanger their lives. And so I was wondering, you know, we just coming off of hopefully coming off of a pandemic, and it seems that it put a lot of people under stress. I know I've had a lot of stress, um, you know, from the changes economic, health-wise, and whatnot. And so, have you seen any changes in drug use because of COVID nineteen? Yeah, I mean, 2020 was the worst year on record in the US for fatal overdoses. There's 93,000 um, at least, and two thirds of those were attributed to fentanyl. So I think that 
you know, it makes sense that you would see a spike in drug use, um, you know, during a time of a lot of stress and hardship for people. But there's also other factors at play, such as using drugs alone. That's really dangerous. Um, and I would say to people who use drugs to use with somebody else present um, and use with naloxone present, which can reverse a phenyl overdose. Um, so we're, we, you know, because of the whole stay at home and you know the COVID-related measures, we've seen a lot more isolation as well. Um, and so I think that's also led to an increase in overdoses. And has anything changed in terms of the drug market itself when it comes to the business aspects of it? Because you know now that a lot of people still may be struggling with employment or whatnot, people usually turn to illicit means of being able to support themselves. So have we seen any change in that arena as well? Um, what do you mean by that? Like, are, do you mean like are more people selling drugs now? Uh, yes, something similar to that. Uh huh. Um. I don't know. I yeah, I don't really have the information or I wouldn't be comfortable making a statement like that cuz I haven't necessarily seen that that's the case. Yeah, and they probably don't do too much research on it cuz I would think people probably don't put drug dealer on their tax returns. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, you never know. Uh, but we definitely know there have been some drug dealers out there with um, the opioid epidemic in terms of who's been held accountable. And right now there's a trial going on that is essentially somewhat of a seminal trial that is going after some of the providers such as Walmart and other pharmacies that are allegedly being accused of being accountable uh, in the opioid epidemic. And what have you seen in terms of conversations and whether accountability may be had? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think um, you know a lot of people say that the crisis did begin with prescription pills and sort of graduated from that. So yeah, I do think that you know um, some of these big pharmaceutical companies absolutely should be held accountable. But at the same time, um, I just think that a lot of in a lot of cases we've really moved on from that. Like it's it's gotten uh, yeah, it's just gotten much farther away from those days years ago when it was about the pill mills. And now it's like, you have to look at what's actually happening in the street supply of drugs. Wow, yeah, that would be a very powerful thing. And I don't necessarily know how the government plans on addressing or attacking that, but I do know and I feel confident about the fact that however it goes down, that you will definitely have it covered. And so, where can you tell our viewers to find more information about your writing, research, and wonderful insight? Um, just go to vice.com. I'm a vice news reporter, so all my work is on the website. Fantastic. Manisha Krishnan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Welcome back to TYT's The Conversation. And now I have for you a candidate for mayor of Vernon, Connecticut, Mr. Jesse Skolnick. Thanks for joining us, Jesse. Thank you for having me. All right, Jesse. So we know that the mayor who's been there has kind of already been a long term position and fixture in the community. So what led you to run? Well, I feel very strongly that you can't complain about how things are going if you're not gonna be willing to go out there and make a difference yourself. And when they approached me about running, I just had to say yes. We're facing a problem here in Vernon that we're really seeing throughout the country, and that's attack on our voting rights. Last year, 
in the middle of the pandemic, the Secretary of State here in Connecticut gave all 169 towns in Connecticut a special mailbox that they could use for absentee ballots. And only one mayor out of those 169 decided they didn't want it. And can you guess who it was? It was here in Vernon. They had their own mailbox. It wasn't ADA compliant. It wasn't out there 24 hours a day. And it just was a complete mess. And after we protested and we fought to get it put in, it was put in and it worked phenomenally. And they're gonna use it again this year. And you know that's just the tip of the iceberg of some of the issues we're facing here in Vernon. Wow, that is a significant one, especially as we see voting rights being challenged really across the United States here. And just the fact that, hey, you need a voting box that is ADA compliant and accessible to all, that would seem to kind of just be a given. But I guess it sounds like the incumbent there really didn't necessarily agree and you had to fight for it. So in terms of now we know what led you to fight so that you are running, what do you plan to do? Or what is your goal when it comes to making change there in Vernon, Connecticut? Well, I look at Vernon and I think there's so much opportunity here. I wanna focus on economic development. Right now, when we go out to eat on the weekend, there's so many other towns around us that have more unique restaurants or bars or breweries, places to go. There's places for them to be put in here in Vernon. I think we just have to have the right person in charge to attract those businesses to town. I wanna lower the mill rate here in town, which has to do with our taxes. It's the highest in the immediate area. The current mayor, who by the way, is also our state senator, so he has two jobs, he's elected to and doing neither of them well, in my opinion. He's focusing on basically treading water. He always says, you know, things aren't getting worse, but I think things can get better. It's 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 not one or the other. You can focus on things not getting worse and fight for them to get better. As I mentioned earlier, I want to fight for our right to vote, and I want to work on bipartisanship. I used to work in Washington D.C. I was a staffer for the Senate Finance Committee, and I was a nonpartisan staffer, so I worked with Republicans and Democrats. And I saw that it can happen here in Connecticut. We always talk about the Red Sox and Yankees and watch the game last night. And I think some people up here want to act like we're the Red Sox and Yankees fighting each other, but we're not the Red Sox and Yankees. We're one team and we're on the same team, and we need to work together because nothing gets done unless we're working together. And it's just something that's been missing from our town for at least the last decade, if not longer. Yes, that sense of collaboration is so incredibly important when you're representing people. And it sounds like, as you mentioned, the current mayor having kind of those dual roles, it seemed to be a little bit somewhat conflicting when it comes to spending your time. But I will leave that to that individual to kind of determine what works best for them. But in terms of Vernon and also meeting people's needs, what do you see that people would really like change in addition to these economic changes? I think people just wanna feel good about how things are going in town. It's been a tough year for everybody in the country. And there are parts of Vernon, it's oftentimes a tale of two towns. There's Vernon and Rockville as a subsection there. And I think folks in Rockville sometimes feel a little left behind. They don't necessarily have a voting place that's within walking distance. They don't have a grocery store, the hospital may be shutting down. And I think we need to look at this town and realize that the needs of everybody in town are important. Not just people in certain areas. Um, you know, I, I live in Vernon, but I spent a lot of time in Rockville. I know a lot of people who live there, and I think we need to, again work together to get everybody's needs met, which is something that's just not happening right now. And it might be because the current mayor, and I mentioned, was also our state senator. He represents 13 towns as a state senator, so oftentimes he's focusing on the needs of other towns and leaving Vernon behind, and then coming back to Vernon and saying, "Why isn't Hartford doing this for our town?" Uh, he seems to forget sometimes that he is Hartford, that he's there all the time. And you know, Connecticut's a blue state. Uh, Vernon is a purple town, 
And he is a Trump Republican. Oftentimes he doesn't just vote in the minority in the Senate, he votes in the minority of his own party. When you're one of two Republicans voting against the bill that everybody else is voting for, something is wrong, especially when those bills directly impact Connecticut and Vernon. Wow, that is so incredibly important that you are standing up and using your voice. And that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to speak with you, not only to uplift the issues in Vernon, because, but also because you serve as an example of someone who saw an issue and saw the opportunity to make change. And now who is out here running for office now as candidate for mayor of Vernon, Connecticut. And that is so incredibly inspiring since a lot of us spent our time during 2020 pushing for change. And so um, I'd love to hear what kind of advice you have for people out there who see issues and want to step into the uh, political arena and actually run for office. I would tell them, don't be afraid of doing it. Uh, someone has to do it. And if you had asked me five years ago if I would be running for mayor, I would have laughed and said, no way. But since then, I've become vice chair of the town Democrats. I'm a charter member of the Lions Club. I'm on the Planning and Zoning Commission. I'm president of my housing association because people need to stand up and do this. And that person can be you. If you're if you're looking at what's going on in this world and wanting to make it better, look in the mirror and, and realize you're the person that can make that difference and can make that change. Um, it, it, it sounds a little cliche, but one person can make a difference and and you'll never know until you try to do it yourself. Um, it, it's the, the problem we face here in, in Vernon is like always, we have the policies on our side, we have the issues on our side, uh, but they have the name recognition and they have the money. And that's why I ask everybody, please go to my website, which is schoolnickforvernon.com and please consider giving to my campaign because uh, there's just a few more weeks left. And uh, you know every little bit that comes in can help make sure that we have the resources we need to defeat Dan. Because as I mentioned, people see him at the, at the fireworks. People see him doing things around town and they don't necessarily put two together that just because you see him means he's doing a doesn't mean he's doing a good job in both of his positions. But he, I think like a lot of politicians out there, he relies on people not paying close enough attention to really get into the nitty gritty of things. He looks at how things are going and people again, they see him smiling at a corner waving to them in the morning and think that's all you need. But I think anybody who's been involved in this process and anybody who wants to get involved in this process knows or needs to know that you have to put in the effort and you have to have the knowledge and the ability to do it. And I think that's something I have and I think that's something that could really help as we look to the future of Vernon. Yes, most certainly. And I do love that you again stepped up and that you are challenging this individual, Daniel Champagne, who's the mayor of Mount Vernon, as well as a state senator there in Connecticut, and happens to be a Trump supporter as well. Because the reality is, I'm guessing that the people of Vernon, as you mentioned, being purple, that there's a mixture of needs there. And they're not necessarily met by having a hard red Republican representative. Yeah, one of the most disturbing things to me, at least, was after what happened on January 6th. We are the the town Democrats tried to get together with the town Republicans and put out a joint statement and say, you know, no matter what our differences are and what our political beliefs are, what we saw on January 6th is just not acceptable and can't happen. And we couldn't get it done. It started out, but there are too many members of the the town Republicans who who wouldn't 
wouldn't sign on because they didn't want to say publicly that they thought it was bad. And like I mentioned earlier, I have a history of bipartisanship and I have a lot of friends or at least I did in the past who were Republicans. And I know there's a lot of what I'd call Republican classic out there who looks at what happened on, on January 6th and, and just was super disturbed by it. Um, and I need those people to stand up here in Vernon because I don't look at them as the enemy. I look at them as a loyal opposition and I would like them to look at me the same way and that we fight for what's right for our town, our state and our country. Yes, absolutely, that bipartisanship and uplifting people. I can definitely attest the fact that I've seen you in your professional life definitely with a bipartisanship as we worked at the same major law firm together in Washington DC. And we often helped out our Republican comrades in terms of doing work, uplifting people and representing voices. And that's such an important thing as I know you're uplifting and representing voices in Vernon there. And so I'd love to hear more just so that people can get to know you a little bit more. You want to tell us a little bit about what you do for fun, what you got going on in your own life. <laughs> well, I we mentioned this quickly before we started recording day. I'm getting married in April. So when I'm knocking doors here in town, I tell people that the future of Vernon is my future. I want to raise my family here. I want to have kids kids here. So it means the world to me. I'm also a podcaster too. So if anybody likes pop culture, you can please listen to my podcast, which is Kickball Friends. But mostly I spend my time working on issues here in town. A lot of my friends are all involved too. My best friend, Kevin Brown, lives a mile away, known him for 21 years, and he's on the Board of Education. He's fighting for what's right here in town. And I'll tell you, there's nothing better than fighting for what you believe in. With your best friend. It's one of the most special things I've ever done. That is fantastic. And I'm very, very excited to see you move forward and make this fight and try to work as you continue to lead there in your town of Vernon, Connecticut. And I'm sure the people there very much appreciate your contributions. And I am excited to continue to see you move toward your mayoral race and hopefully your win. So if you can tell the viewers one last time where they can find out more information about you and how to support your campaign for mayor of Vernon, Connecticut. Please go to schoolnickforvernon.com. You'll find a link to donate there. Every little bit helps. We're making strides. We've getting a lot of donations in in recent days, but we needed a little more to get us over the edge to get some mailers out there and let the people know. When people talk to me, they see things my way, but I can only talk to so many people in town. So those mailers and those phone calls and those volunteers will mean the world to me. And with your help, I think I can achieve it. Thank you so much. Excellent, thank you so much for coming on the show and joining us. Jesse Skolnick, candidate for mayor, Vernon, Connecticut. Take care, Jesse. You too.